Welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. My name is Trevor Bohm and I will be your host. Every week or so, I try to get myself a fascinating human on the mic for you, someone who looks at the civilized world just like you do and says no thank you. Someone who wants to break some rules, to lead, and to bring their unique vision into the world. Someone for whom the status quo simply will not do. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I do. Please dive in. Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. This is Trevor Bohm, your fearless host, chiming in from Nosara, Costa Rica, where I got a couple more weeks here of surf, sunset, and beauty, and not snow, and mandates, and fuckery, and all the things. And I'm excited to dive back into the year, doing some live interviews. We took a little bit of a break. You know, a number of you have uh, read the email that I sent out saying that just a whole bunch of shit happened at once. Uh, at Uncivilized HQ. I got COVID. I uh, packed up my house and moved down here for the winter. And then my partner, Katie, got COVID. That was awesome. And so we spent a couple of weeks just not feeling that good, sort of alternating. I got, I didn't feel good. Then she didn't feel good. Then we got well and we crashed an ATV down here pretty badly. And which is part of a part of the reason I wanted to interview the man that I have coming on today. And Katie, unfortunately, had to spend about 10 days on bed rest, uh, recovering from some injuries. So that wasn't that fun. And then we had a team member here at Uncivilized HQ pass away. And that was challenging. That was really challenging. And the I think the day after I, I found out about her passing, I got COVID again. And so we've taken a little bit of a break. You might have noticed just some solo interviews. So I appreciate your patience. But we're back in the game here. And today I have a man coming in. His name is Andrew Bernstein. And Ryan actually found him, my media director, after reading an article on in Outside Magazine. And the article was titled, The Driver Who Hit Me Got Two Years in Prison, But I Got a Life Sentence. And this is, a, this is an amazing story of a man who was just riding his bike home, a guy who had a high-level like athletic practice, high level of bike racing, and his pedigree, like, so he wasn't just like a dude riding his bike home, but he was, a, he was a racer, right? He was a competitive racer and got hit by a car, 35 bones broken. He's got a crazy story. He woke up in a ditch. Thank God some good Samaritan found him and, and called it, called 911. And so in this episode, we dive into Andrew's recovery from that. And this is only a couple years old. This isn't, you know, 15 years past where he's had a lot of time to think about it. He's, he's kind of still in it. But I wanted to bring him in for a couple of reasons. One, just to talk about adversity and talk about overcoming adversity and, and the adversity that you most likely may not know is coming when it comes. Uh, some of the challenges of now being in a different abled body, how we can talk to and relate to people who have disabilities or other abilities or adapted abilities or however you want to, they want to call it. And even what it's like to start dating again as someone who's in a, a different body than he was a couple of years before. So I know you're going to love this episode. Please feel free to dive into this. And uh, if it moves you, share it on, on social media, tag me in it, help spread the word. And if you would go to Spotify or Apple or iTunes, wherever you're listening to this, give us a five-star rating, leave a positive comment. That stuff really, really does help with promoting the podcast. We have some massive plans for the podcast this year. 
Uh, it grew a ton last year. So thank you for that. Um, and I know it's going to be a, a continued process for us to learn and grow and bring you amazing guests. And the goal of this now is not just to share amazing stories with you, but to really give you insight and practical tips into how do you uncivilize yourself? How do you unplug from the matrix? How do you become more sovereign, more whole, more powerful? Whether you're a man or a woman listening to this, how do you have a better relationship? How do you just kick more ass at life? And so without further ado, a guy who is kicking ass at life, even after getting his ass kicked, here is Andrew Bernie Bernstein. Andrew Bernstein, welcome to the Uncivilized Podcast. It is an absolute pleasure. Uh, would you prefer Bernie for this call or would you prefer Andrew, just so people listening know? Yeah, you can go ahead and call me Bernie. Sounds good, brother. Uh, so you, we were just shooting the shit a little bit beforehand that you're in Colorado and have had an interesting set of events or interesting story that's kind of shifted your life a little bit. For people who may not know you or what you're about, would you mind diving into a bit of that? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm from New York originally. Um, I you know, lived most of my life on the East Coast. And then when I was um, yeah, mid-30s, I moved here in 2019. I moved here um, with a woman I was engaged to at the time. And um, you know, she had lived in Colorado previously. She really wanted to come back. Um, and we were kind of able to uh, manage our life circumstance towards being able to make that move. So we arrived here. I'm sorry, I think I said 2019, but it was 2018. Okay. Um, we had a great uh, fall and winter. We were doing lots of skiing. And then um, I'm a bike racer, um, in a pretty high level bike racer. I was doing a lot of international competitions. Is this so, mountain biking or road biking? Uh, actually, mostly velodrome racing, which is uh, sort of a, a niche a niche sport of bike racing. It's an Olympic sport. Um, and it's, um, you know, most people probably don't know this, but it's in a stadium. So it's, uh, oh, the, like the, yeah, 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 yeah on a yeah, banked yeah. surface. Yeah, um, and it's, it's like, you guys are waiting almost. It feels like someone's waiting to take off or there's like a lot of gamesmanship you know, in it. There's different kinds of events. Um, okay. it's, it's sort of like uh, track running where you have the sprinters, um, yeah. who, you know, they're racing for hundred meters in, mm. in track racing, that event would be called match sprint. And it's like, you know, three laps. And that's what you're describing. There's like, Whoever's going to make the yeah. first attack, uh, a lot of tension around that. I was more yeah. in the middle distances. So we were doing, okay. you know, races up to 40 kilometers on the velodrome. Um, and yeah, it was super great. I, you know, I was doing, you know, like I said, lots of high level racing, um, including national championships and some, mm -hmm. um, you know, some, uh, some events that were Olympic qualifying events. And so I, you know, I was training through the spring, I was racing, you know, into the summer, and then in July of 2019, I was riding home from a training session at our local velodrome here in Boulder, and uh, someone drove into me, and you know, I nearly died. I had um, collapsed lungs and this massive internal bleeding and 35 broken bones, concussion, and then I um, uh, I was saved. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on. Hold on. I, I got to jump yeah. in here. Okay. Somewhat walk me through. Do you have any recollection of So someone hit you with a car. Is that yeah, someone was a van, but yes. Okay. Um, I was on the road behind you. Did they, they T bone you? I don't remember the actual impact, but, um, what the police told me was that they sideswiped me. Um, okay. and it was on a road. It was kind of drizzly that day. So I took like the most direct route to get home. And I was yeah. not a road that I would typically ride, but yeah. it has a super wide shoulder where I got hit. You know, the, the shoulder is as wide as the travel lane. So I was in the shoulder. Um, and what the police said was that the driver swerved into the shoulder very fast. Um, you know, it was, a, it was a road with a 40 mile an hour speed limit, but it seems like he was probably going much faster than that. Yeah. Um, and he hit me and, you know, my bike snapped into 
three different pieces and I was tossed into this ditch. Sure. Um, and I wasn't fully conscious, but I do have these like foggy memories of being like, oh man, like I need help. Like I can't. Yeah. Uh, and I was trying to find my phone, but I couldn't find my phone or, you know, both my arms were broken. So it's also possible. I just couldn't get my hand into my pocket. Did um, you say you had 35 broken bones? 35 broken bones. Um, Holy So it was, fuck. you know, my collar, my right collarbone, my left shoulder, um, sternum, every rib, um, uh, pelvis, femur, tibia, fibia, medial malleolus, um, and then and then a bunch of spinal fractures. Um, Jesus Christ. Can you hold just, I want that to okay. like settle into the audience <laughs> for a second. I imagine you've told this story a number of times. So you're like, yeah. And then there was like 35 broken bones and this thing. That's a lot. Yeah. So just to like give you a little bit of context, and yeah. I'm going to jump ahead. Sure. The worst the, of all those injuries, the one that is going to have, has had and will have the most lasting impact on me is a spinal cord injury. Yeah. Um, my spine was not completely severed, um, okay. but you know, the bone, the, the, the vertebrae were broken in a few different places. I had a minor vertebrae fracture in my neck. Um, mm. and fortunately that, that fracture didn't touch the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. But then I had um, a number of uh, vertebrae fractures in my lumbar spine and my thoracic spine. Mm -hmm. uh, and those fractures did touch my cord. Okay. So with spinal cord injuries, you have either complete or incomplete. Um, complete is when the cord is severed. Incomplete is when the cord is damaged. Um, yeah. And there's different degrees of damage. So, you know, so I, so now I'm paraplegic. My left leg is paralyzed. Um, okay. And these, these kinds of injuries also affect your like bowel function and your bladder mm -hmm. function and your sexual mm -hmm. function. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just because of the weird presentation of my injury, my right leg is totally fine. So no kidding. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's just kind of a fluky thing. It's almost, the symptoms are almost more like a stroke. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. So sitting here now, you know, two and a half years after that crash, um, the 35 bones, while that's like catastrophic, it almost seems like a blip in the past because they've all healed. Meanwhile, I'm still paralyzed. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it could have been 34 and you would have been fine if it wasn't a spinal issue. It would have been like, yeah, yeah. I have some aches. I have some pains when it rains. Yeah, I would definitely still not be a bike racer. Like, you know, this was going to yeah, be, sure. you know, a career ending injury no matter what. Um, but yeah, like if, if my cord hadn't had that damage, it would have been a complete, you know, I, I could mm -hmm. make a full recovery. Damn. Can we walk back a bit to the, not to the impact, because I remember you don't remember that as much, but did you just, like, what was your first moment of consciousness? Was it waking up in a hospital? Was it in the ER? Was it a doctor telling you the worst news of your life? And I'm not trying to trauma porn you, um, but really just give the guys listening and folks listening a sense of when did it, when did you find out what had happened to you? Well, you know, like I said, I had this like kind of foggy memory of coming to in the ditch mm. and, you know, understanding that I was very badly hurt, needed help. Um, yeah. And I remember thinking about my, my ex fiance and like, we, you know, our relationship was troubled and we were probably, even then we knew that we were going towards a breakup. Yeah. Um, mm. But I remember thinking of her and thinking like, wow, I'm sorry. Like just understanding like this is going to be real bad yeah. for, for her and thinking like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I, and then I lost consciousness and, you know, the man who found me, um, told me that he and I communicated a little bit. Like I was not talking, I couldn't breathe. I had collapsed lungs, wow. but you know, he, he was on the phone with 911 and 911 asked him how old I was. And he looked at me and he said, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe 35. And yeah. I was 34 at the time. Okay. Uh, and I apparently like smiled and gave him a thumbs up. 
Like, good job nailing my age, bro. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe he's at thirty-five and I was thirty-four. You know, it was very close. Um, was he a was he a uh, like a pedestrian? Did he pull? Over? Uh, no, he, he was a motorist. He was he was driving home. Um, his father lives in Boulder. He lives in Arvada, which is just you know yeah. a few miles away. And he they'd been at church. It was Saturday afternoon, so they'd been at the you know Saturday after service. Sure. Um, and he he was driving down the road, and he saw um, he thought he saw a face. And he, like, what he described to me was that, like, he, he saw someone, like, sit up and then the face was gone. And, you know, my memory was like, okay, I can't call for help. So I have to, like, try and, like, wave to a car. And I yeah. guess I must have figured out that I needed to try and, like, get a car to really see me. Right. Uh, I don't remember doing that. Mm. But he said he saw me, like, sit up and then lay back down. Ooh, I and that's crazy. Wow. Yeah. And it was, like, fleeting. You know, he, like, wasn't right. sure. He's like, well, did I just see some some random dude? But yeah. he turned around and he made another pass. And on the third pass, on the second pass, he didn't see anything, but he was like, I want to be certain. And yeah. he made a third pass and, you know, it slowed way down. And on the third pass going slowly, he spotted like this helmet by itself and he spotted mm. a, a bike. And he was like, I'm gonna get out and check, take a look. And yeah. sure enough, he got out of the car and he found me in this ditch. And then his father, who's very elderly, um, also got out of the car and was like, you know, finding bits of broken bike around and yeah. And yeah, they called 911 and I was saved. Um, wow. And the ER doctor who treated me told me later, like, you know, I had minutes, you know, mm. if I hadn't gotten to the hospital very, very soon, I was going to die. Yeah. That's crazy, Bernie. Did, did any, did, did the person who hit you ever get found or were they caught or was it a hit and run? Or were they drunk? It, was there more to this? It was a hit and run. Um, okay. The, the van was located. So the, the, the Colorado State Patrol was able to get surveillance footage from businesses on the road. Gotcha. And they, you know, there was a video of like me going by and then this van. And then they found another video on, you know, further down the road of the van going and I never reappeared. Right. Um, and it was in a place where there was nowhere I could have turned. Sure. Um, so they, you know, they put out a news release that they're looking for this van. It's, you know, it's a late, you know, it's like a 2000 Dodge Ram cargo van with no windows. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a million of those in Colorado. Sure. sure enough, a few days later, someone called in and said, Hey, like, I think this van you're looking for is parked. So they went and they got when they found it and they impounded the vehicle and they called up the owner and they said, Hey, like, we need to talk to you. And the owner of the van went and talked to the police and he said, I don't know anything about that crash. Um, mm -hmm. And they said, Well, that's interesting. Your van was involved. Like, there's paint transfer from the van to the bike and there's a, yeah. you know, your missing turn signal was found at the scene of the crash. Like, are you wow. sure? And he was yeah. like, I don't know. You know, he said, he denied it. And then they said, okay, well, was anyone else driving your vehicle? And he said, no, like, no. Um, and, you know, the Colorado State Patrol, um, I think, although I wish they had worked faster, I think they took this seriously and they did a good job. Yeah. Um, and they were very thorough and they took their time to really prove, uh, to really prove that this was the, this was the, you know, the weapon that had been used and that sure. indeed he had been driving it. And they eventually were able to construct a strong enough case. They filed an arrest warrant and the, the owner of the van was eventually uh, arrested and charged. And in October he pled guilty. Um, so he's currently incarcerated and he's, wow. he was sentenced to two years. And my understanding is that he'll end up serving, you know, probably seven or eight months. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wrote extensively about this in, in an essay for outside magazine that your readers, that your listeners might want to read, but, um, you know, I'm glad that he was brought in and that he, you know, pled guilty and that he took responsibility. Um, 
but him being in jail doesn't help me. Um, yeah. It doesn't do anything to heal my wounds. It doesn't help me pay for the medical care, which is hugely expensive. Yeah. And, um, and it doesn't, um, it doesn't help him. You know, this is a guy who we understand he's a person of interest in a number of other hit and runs, not any others involving people, but you know, like crashing into cars and parking lots and driving off that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, so he's not a responsible driver. Yeah. And because it was a hit and run, we don't know if he may have been drunk or he may have been right. high. Um, you know, he, he, that wasn't part of the case. We can't prove mm -hmm. it. We don't know. Right. Um, so, you know, when he gets out of prison, he'll, he'll be on probation. Then when his probation ends, he will be able to drive again. And mm -hmm. there's nothing in his sentence that will help him be better. And that, that's what concerns right. me. And that's what I find very dissatisfying. Yeah, I bet. I, I have to ask because I think anybody listening would, would be curious about what was the emotional process for you of, of him? Like, was there rage? Was there like revenge fantasy? Was there like, how did you process knowing that a dude's going to do seven months of probably pretty lenient time and then his life is back to normal and yours is forever shifted? How, how do you deal with that with him? Well, you know, I first came to in, in an ICU in Denver. Um, and it's not like a light switch. It's not like, uh, you know, one day you're in a coma and I was in a coma for 10 days. And it's not oh, like you like go wow. from being in a coma to like being fully present overnight, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when I was first kind of with it, my, my fiance and my brother and my dad said like, you know, you were hit by a car and, you know, we don't know everything that's going on with you, but like, you know, you're, you know, they were like, you're going to be okay, which, you know, they had been in the hospital for a week thinking I was going to die. Wow. So being conscious and having my blood pressure stable, right. That was, that was pretty good. Right. Those are good things. Yeah. 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 And yeah. it was so early in those days that we didn't yet understand my spinal cord injury. Mm. Um, and incomplete spinal cord injuries are so, um, there's so many different kinds that it's really impossible to know. Um, what anyone is going to be. Um, you know, it could have been that I was never going to use my leg again, or right. it could have been that I was going to have a complete recovery. Wow. Um, so, you know, they were trying to be very, um, they were trying to give it appropriate gravity, but they're also trying to um, uh, be positive as positive as they could. And again, like this is a huge relief, you know, yeah, yeah. I was intubated. Right. I had, a, you know, a feeding tube, but the good news was that I had a feeding tube because for the entire time I was in a coma, I wasn't able to have any nutrients at all. Um, wow. Wow. So, um, you know, so it was kind of in, in like against that background that they said like, yes, yeah, someone drove into you and we don't know who it was. And mm. um, there started to be this conversation about like, should I apply for victim's compensation? And like mm. my, my frame of mind at the time, and again, like not completely lucid was sure. like, you know, I've got, you know, I've got a, good income. I've got a good job. Um, mm. I like, I don't need that funding. Like, you know, it's probably better, better used by some other victim. Yeah. Um, and then I was really inclined to be, uh, forgiving to the driver. I really like, I was going, working pretty hard in my mind to like make up, um, reasons for why they may have hit and run that would be acceptable to me. Wow. Um, and I was like, well, maybe it's, you know, an undocumented immigrant who's just here trying to work and send money back to their family. And they're scared of being deported. Or, you know, maybe it's someone who, who really just panicked and they don't understand what happened. And, you know, I carried that for a long time. But then as we, 
as the years passed and as I learned more about um, the suspect, mm-hmm. I, you know, I came to understand that this was just a person who's completely irresponsible. Um, you know, they are a flooring contractor who in 2020 and 2021, you know, the greatest building boom that Colorado's ever known couldn't work, couldn't find mm-hmm. jobs. Okay. Um, so, and, you know, like, you know, couldn't put insurance on their vehicle and couldn't, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. couldn't take responsibility for their actions. Couldn't apparently couldn't even, um, afford a cell phone that, that worked without being plugged in. Um, okay. So, you know, this, this is like background. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like, this is a person, Brody, can I ask um, this person's age? Is this a much older person or is this a much younger person? Uh, he's middle-aged. I I don't remember his exact age. I think he's in his fifties. Okay. Um, you know, I think, um, this is a person who came into the world with equal opportunity and, um, appeared to have a really hard time, um, existing in society as a, as a contributing member. Um, and, and so, yeah, it became much harder to be forgiving towards him. Even so I know, and you know, and most of your listeners know that like, you don't forgive someone for them. You do it for you. Yeah. Um, and I like, I hope that I can get there myself. Um, Mm -hmm. and like, despite all this person has done to me, I, despite their unwillingness to take responsibility, I would like to forgive them. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to get there someday. I don't know. Yeah. Thank you for just the honesty of I'm not there yet. And, and I imagine there are days where you're more frustrated and days where it's okay, this happened. And, and I think you made a very, I know you've made a very, very good point that nothing you're going to do is going to bring your leg back. And you do though, have the opportunity to have some level of decent mental health or you can sit around and stew and hate and fantasize and be bitter and angry and that'll 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 get you a good a good nowhere uh, yeah but, it's, but exactly. the opportunity is there and you you have man you have you know i used to say that the definition of spirituality was just the choices you make moment to moment and you have a journey i imagine that's considerably more rich and difficult than most people because you're presented with very different moment to moment experiences than the average person who gets up in the morning and takes for granted that both of their legs work. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes. Um, but I will say that like, I think about my injury constantly and I'm doing, I do a huge amount of work to like rehabilitate my body. Yeah. Um, and to, you know, rehabilitate the parts of my legs that do work. I don't. Can you walk us through a bit of like, okay, cool. Now you found out I'm alive. I'm, I'm not in a coma. What's the next week like for you? Are you, are you just still lying in a hospital bed? And when do you start to go, fuck, I have 35 bones that need to mend and I have to figure out how to live in a very different format. Yes. I mean, it was, I was hospitalized for three months. Right. And you know, the first, yeah, you know, the first few weeks I was in an ICU with, you know, like super intensive care by some, you know, amazing practitioners at Denver health. Um, yeah. and I like in that period, I was going in and out of surgery constantly because I, they surgically repaired, um, my shoulder, my femur, my tip fib, my leg. And then there were, and my pelvis, and then there were, um, two surgeries to fuse my spine. Okay. Um, so, you know, it was like on all these crazy pain meds in and out of surgery, in and out of anesthesia, um, you know, like, and, and like at that point, you know, you are, you are a body and every bodily function is managed by someone else. You know, I was catheterized. I was, yep. um, 
you know, like I wasn't really pooping much because I wasn't eating anything. You know, I was getting liquid sure. nutrients. And then, you know, eventually I was transferred to a step-down unit in the same hospital uh, where, you know, it started to be like, okay, you got to like, you got to wipe your own butt. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? like you have to, you have to start to like manage whatever you can manage. Your own biology. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then from there it was, I was sent to what they call a long-term care hospital, which is just like, um, you need acute care, um, but you're not going to die. So, you know, we're going to put you in this hospital where there's round the clock nursing and there's daily visits by doctors. Um, and you know, I was just there to like, let my bones heal. Yeah. Um, and I was there for a month, you know, I was there like bones heal, start to like try and get my lungs to, to work a little better, get off oxygen, mm-hmm. um, you know, get the trach taken out of my neck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, after a month at that hospital and, you know, that was where I started to do some physical therapy. And like, at first, you know, physical therapy was like, can you roll over in bed? And I couldn't. Um, wow. and then, you know, when I finally could roll over in bed, like being on my stomach was this huge stretch my back. Um, mm. And, you know, I was, again, I was an elite athlete. Yeah. <laughs> this was crazy. Yeah. Um, and then eventually it was PT was like transferred to this chair and then it was stand, you know, okay. Mm. Stand for two minutes, stand for three minutes. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, after a month of that, I was sent to a hospital in Denver called Craig hospital that specializes in rehabilitating spinal cord injuries and, and traumatic brain injury. And I was there for another month. And that was like, uh, that was pretty intensive physical therapy. It was, you know, mm-hmm five hours a day of like various kinds of, of therapies all aimed at, um, trying to, trying to like get through the trauma of the physical trauma, uh, and the emotional trauma. Um, yeah. and also that was my, I'm sitting on that question. Yeah. Let me come back continue. to it. Um, yeah. and you know, so I, I'll, I'll speed this up, but like, you know, that time at that hospital was really about like trying to get over the physical trauma and also try to like, understand what my life was going to be like outside mm. the hospital. And I was in a wheelchair at this point, most of the time. Um, But there was like a path to me walking. So they were trying to get me started on that path. And then you get discharged and you go home and suddenly you got to figure it out on your own. So I was able to recruit uh, some great physical therapists here in Boulder who started working with me um, Mm. a lot. And, you know, I I had to work for three months, but at that point I started going back to work part-time. And what was your job, Bernie, if I can ask? Uh, I, I work at a marketing agency and we do, we primarily do PR in the outdoor industry and bike industry. Okay. Um, so, you know, they very graciously kept me, you know, kept my spot and kept paying me the whole time I was hospitalized. Oh, good, good people. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And when I came back, it was, um, part-time and they let me scale up over like six months to get back to full-time. Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, it's my therapy has taken various forms over the time that I've been out of the hospital, but I've been very consistently going to PT anywhere from, you know, right now it's only like four times a week, but at the peak, I was going to nine appointments a week. Um, oh, wow. yeah. You know, like I saw this person to help relieve pain. And I saw this other yeah. person to help relieve with like pelvic pain, which is very specific. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I saw like three other people to help strengthen my legs. Right. Um, and you know, physical therapists are amazing. I didn't really understand much about that profession before all this, but they, um, they're so good at being able to like look at the whole picture and, um, help you, figure out how to strengthen your, your body. Um, in my case, they helped me a lot with pain relief, pain management, um, which, you know, I was able to get off of, um, pain, pain medication pretty quickly. Good. Uh, which was a goal for me. Yeah. Um, 
And, and yeah, you know, therapy, like I, you know, I, I, I've been in therapy a lot in my life. I think it's super helpful, but, um, after this injury therapy has been great to help me. Um, and this is mental health. Work yeah. Mental about. health therapy. It, you know, it's been, yeah. it's been great to help me like understand what my life's going to be like. And it's been helping me to like, I feel confident again that I can mm. exist in society despite these changes. Yeah. Um, Hey folks, hope you're loving this episode with Bernie. I certainly did. Want to speak to all you nice guys out there. When I ran the Kill the Nice Guy course last year, it was my most successful course to date. And it is still the issue that most men and women reach out to me about. And now I want to let you know, I have a freestanding course on this. The Kill the Nice Guy course is now available whenever you want for whomever you want. So if this, if you resonate as a nice guy, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash kill the nice guy and dive into that. And if you just want to go listen to the free workshop that I taught about understanding a nice guy, whether you're a man or woman, it's on that page as well. All right, back to Bernie. If I, if I can ask just insanely personal questions, was it anger? Was it depression? Was it a combination, like a flip-flop of the two? What would you say mental health wise was your biggest hurdle? Well, you know, I think like I am a pretty goals oriented person. And once I understood what, what was up, um, it was pretty easy for me to just say like, okay, well, my goal is to, um, my goal is to be able to like walk in and out of my house. Mm. And then, you know, then the goal was like be able to walk in and out of physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the goal was like, be able to walk around the neighborhood. And then, you know, and then there's hard to be different kinds of goals. Like, like, what can I do to relieve? I had a really awful tailbone pain because again, I have like a right leg that's very strong and a weak leg on the left. So my tailbone was kind of yeah. in the middle. It's always being pulled to the right. Very painful. Yeah. Um, so I had goals around that. Um, so I like, I think focusing on the process, let me kind of um, keep the anger at bay. Mm. Um I felt sad a lot. I felt sad mm. for, um, and you know, again, this like coincided with the start of the pandemic. So it was a rough time for everybody, but you know, <laughs> to say the least. Um, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so I, you know, I was, it was, it was a sad time. Um, and again, you know, like my relationship was flawed. Um, and we kind of put things on pause during this trauma, but then after a certain point, we couldn't ignore our problems anymore. Um, sure. So in addition to dealing with like my physical changes, we also were trying to like sort out our relationship and decide if we we're going to stay together or not. Um, yeah. Um, Can you so, talk you know, us a little bit just through that part of, I think that that must be immensely complex for, for both of you of, are we breaking up because of this? Are we staying together because we don't want to break up during this? Does she have a feeling of like, I can't abandon you or fuck this. I'm out of here. Are you, and you're, are you weighing, like, I can't put this on somebody or can you just walk us through some of the complexities of having a relationship during a, an incident like this? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for my ex's name is Gloria. And I think like we had gotten to a point where it was pretty clear that we were not a good match. Okay. Um, and prior was, to you know, all of this. Yeah. Prior to all this, like, you okay. know, I think, we have different ideas for our lifestyle. Uh, we have different ideas for how to spend our time. And, you know, really we probably should not have been engaged in the first place, but, you know, we were, you know, we loved each other and we mm-hmm. were in a place in time in our lives where it's like, you know, you couple and you start a family and like, we wanted that. Yep. Um, I've been there. Yeah. And yeah, but like it got to a point where we could no longer ignore our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then this injury occurred and, you know, to her credit, Gloria stuck around and she, you know, like was there with me in the hospital every single day. And, you know, when we came home, she was, she was the one helping me when I needed help. And mm-hmm. a lot of the, um, pretty much all of the household shit fell to her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I couldn't take out the trash. I couldn't, um, right. I couldn't clean the cat's litter box. Like, you know, right. everything fell to her. Um, and, you know, as time went on, I got more and more capable, but she was still, there was a lot. There was a yeah. lot. Um, yeah, I get that. And, and I think when we started to confront our problems again, she felt, um, she was concerned that people would look down on her or judge her for leaving mm-hmm. me in the mm-hmm. state that I was mm-hmm. in. Which is and real, maybe, right? Yeah, maybe people do feel that, but like, yeah, um, we weren't happy. I wasn't happy. She wasn't happy. It wasn't working. Yeah, and you know, by the time we did indeed part company, I was going to be fine on my own. Um, yeah. You know, I think earlier on it might have been a real hardship to be on my own, but you know, sure. But by the time we were breaking up, it was okay. Like I was going to be able to do all the things. Okay. Um, I appreciate you sharing that openly. I imagine it's, it is really complex. And, and one of the things I work with, with a number of guys, uh, we have a membership group and say like, bring all of the things that are real mm-hmm. and guys will yeah. bring stuff. That's like, I'm in love with my wife, but hate her parents or, you know, there's just, and I know this is not the same level of what you were dealing with, but what mm-hmm. you were dealing with was real and people have to deal with real shit. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Or can we yeah. can we transition a tiny bit to yeah. how do you, especially as a man, I'd love for you to speak to other men here, go from elite athlete to, and, and I'm just going to use the term, and if it's obtuse, correct me, to disabled. And how do you as a man navigate, like, what do I do in the world? How do I show up in the world? What is the world going to think of me? Would you mind delving into a bit of that for us? Yeah, and like, I would say that it's evolving, um, but... Okay. Um, this is new, right? This wasn't, this isn't 15 years after right. the fact that you're yeah, like, we're, we're um, by like two and a half years, you know, it's um, wild. So I would say I was, um, like I was a very good bike racer, like by any, by any objective measure, there's no question yeah. about that, <laughs> yeah. but it was like, not my job, you know, it was like a hobby. Um, okay. right. and I also had a job and I also had a relationship and I also had family and I had friends and like, I definitely think that I let my sport and my hobby, like take up too much of my time. Okay. You know, and maybe that was okay in my like late twenties and my like early thirties, but then, you know, I, by the time I got to sure. my thirties, um, I think I probably should have slowed down sooner. Okay. Um, and you know, spent more time on other things. Okay. Um, and it was very hard for me to make that transition because it had been my life for so long and it was something I was very passionate about. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I, lo- and it was fun. I liked it. Um, and it's probably a piece of your identity, right? Like this huge is, part of this my is who I am. I race bikes. I'm, yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge, thing. huge part of my identity. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, part, it was the way that I made friends. It was the way that I connected with people. Um, but I would say that like, by the time I was in that 2019 season, uh, you know, I had gone to this like series of races in Pennsylvania where there were like really high caliber athletes from all over the world. And I was getting my ass absolutely kicked. And they were like, literal kids who were like 19 and 20 who were coming up who were so fucking fast. And I was like, I, I don't belong here anymore. This is not my race anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I, I'm too old for this shit. Right. Um, right, right. And so like, I was kind of coming to terms with the fact that like, I was going to need to reevaluate how I was engaging with bike racing. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, because I got hit when I did, I was kind of prepared to not be a bike racer anymore. 
Okay. Um, I wanted, I would have preferred to transition out of it on my own terms. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I get um, that, brother. <laughs> um, and, you know, there's people who step away from bike racing and they just don't touch a bike. And like, that wasn't my goal. I want them to be able to go out and rise and have fun mm. and like go cool places and maybe do some events. Um, yeah. And hopefully still race on the track, but not at that super high level. Yeah. Um, and, and so I had this rough transition and you know, there was a year, almost exactly a year where I didn't, didn't ride. Um, mm. And where I, you know, I, wrote, I was able after a few months, I was able to get on a spin bike and ride indoors. And then, yeah, almost at exactly the year mark, um, maybe, yeah, 11 months or something, Gloria helped me get on a bike outside. And it was this amazing moment of like, oh, I bet. Like, I'm back. It's Mm. freedom. It's, uh, you know, it was also scary, but it was, it was incredible. Um, And, uh, and then, you know, from there, I like continued to iterate and I figured out like different kinds of bikes to ride and different ways to get because my left leg is paralyzed, my left foot doesn't stay on the pedal. Right. So there's a lot of work to figure out the best way to get my foot to stay where it needs to stay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then last summer I bought myself an e-bike, which if your readers aren't familiar, it's, you know, it's a, looks like a bike. It's got a low powered electric motor and a battery and it gives yeah. you a boost. And, you know, for yeah. me, that's awesome. Like that means I can go with, as long as I stay within my battery's range, yeah. I can go all the places I used to go. Um, so, you know, I'm back, oh, I'm okay. back, baby. Like, right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, time to get the van together. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's different now. Now I like, I'm pretty stoked if I ride, you know, two days outdoors during the, you know, in, in a week and maybe sure. one or two days indoors for just for fitness for, you know, shorter ride. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like I'm riding two to four days a week, usually, um, for, you know, a couple hours instead of being gone all day, Saturday and all day Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, so it feels like biking is factoring into my life in a more balanced way right now. Beautiful. And I'm also finding that like in Boulder, there's lots and lots of quiet gravel roads you can ride and like not see very many cars. So it feels pretty safe to me. Yeah. Um, so beautiful. That must be a big part of just your self-confidence and like your belong, I'd say sense of belonging in the world, right? Of I still get to go where I want to go. I still get to do some of the things I want to do. Yeah. You, I mean, I've worked, I've worked my way back into it. It took a long yeah. time. I'm still, you know, I'm still figuring things out. Do you feel judged? Do you feel viewed differently by society or by friends or by people in your, like, and, and, and do you use the term, like, how do you present yourself in the world? Are, are you, and, and I'm, again, I, I am not going to use the right language here, but like able-bodied versus disabled. Do you have a, yeah. a view of yourself? It's, I mean, it's, I do have a view of myself, and I, but it's also a discussion amongst this community. Like, I think um, disability is an apt description of me because it means um, it's an apt description of you. I think so because you yeah. know it's like literally means like a, a, a difference in ability, um, right. and I don't think that's like up for debate. I definitely like my leg is does not work. <laughs> I need some <laughs> adaptation. You know? um, this is not subjective. Yeah. yeah, but I would say that like some people don't like that descriptor. So you know, to be safe, um, you know, if you're meeting a person who who uses a wheelchair or a person who, you know, clearly has a different level of ability from the norm. Don't, you know, don't assume that they're going to be okay with that language. Um, okay. Um, you know, a safe way to approach is to say, hi, I'm Andrew. What's your name? And, right. you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> huh. um, there's probably more to you than this, this challenge that you have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think people who, um, you know, people who use, 
uh, adaptive equipment that can't be hidden, like like a wheelchair, for instance. Right. Um, they don't want to be identified by that chair. Yeah, uh, you know the that's tool that they use, and it's extremely helpful and important. But it's not who they are. It's not part of them. It's, right. Again, it's a tool. So you know, a person's in a wheelchair. They're not a wheelchair person. Right. Right. Or, right. Or right. You know, one of my early, yeah, say one of my earliest interviews, Bernie, and this was before I was even doing podcasts or whatnot. I was just writing, and I was doing this year-long project, and I, I met an adaptive athlete in New Mexico and had coffee with him for a couple hours. And he goes, you know what, man, I have the exact same problems that you do. 90% of the problems I have are like, my girlfriend's pissed at me. I'm not sure where my rent's coming from. You know, like, I don't know, really know what I want to do with my life. Uh, yep. these, have, these have nothing to do with the fact that it takes me an hour longer to get ready in the morning than it takes you. So, yeah. and that, I remember that's, that was so impactful to me to realize of like, oh yeah, you still got to deal with the bullshit of life too. This mm-hmm. is just a, an, another element that I don't have to deal with. Yeah. 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 No, I would say that like, there are people who are born with, with different kinds of bodies that require adaptation mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, or people who have injuries at very young ages who end up you know, being lifelong you know, wheelchair users. Um, I think it's harder for people that I know who became injured in midlife as I did, who have mm-hmm. this identity shift. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that transition can be very, very hard. Yeah. Um, it's been easier for me, but I also, you know, my injury is less severe than others. And I, I walk, um, you know, okay. and I, it took a long time, but now I can walk, I wear a brace on my leg, but if I'm wearing pants, you can't see it. Mm. Um, so like, if you saw me coming down the street and I'm wearing jeans, you'd be like, oh, that guy's got a limp. Um, yeah. very different, very, very different from someone who, who now has to use a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, or someone who is only able to walk with crutches or someone who, Right. you know, can walk, but they have a, a, a gait that's really weird or different. Right. Um, right. So, yeah. So it's been an easier transition for me than it could have been. Mm. Did, did you find that like people didn't know how to interact with you or people that, let me, let me put this into two categories. How did the people who knew you and were in your life, how did their interactions with you shift if they did? And then what was the change you saw in the general public when, when they met you as, as opposed to prior? Um, I mean, I think people, people in my life before have been, have been generally good. And I think, or pretty much exclusively very good to me. Like they, nobody's treated me differently. Um, I do get a lot of questions about like, you know, especially if I'm going to visit someone or stay with someone like, you know, what, like, do I need anything special? Mm-hmm. Um, and at this point, fortunately, I'm like pretty good. I, like I don't need a lot of accommodation. I'm very easy. I'm an easy guest in that way. And again, like that's not the case for everybody. Right. Um, the in the public, it's been interesting, especially when I started. You know, I noticed. I noticed definitely when I started showing up to group rides again. Um, mm. You know, this past summer, and I would you know roll up the group ride the way that I used to on my e-bike, and um, you know, people can tell that I'm on an e-bike, and they can see that I'm wearing this leg brace. And there definitely was like some caution around like, um, you know, is this, are you safe? Are you going to be able to keep up with us? Like, what mm-hmm. if we get far away from home? And I, you know, I definitely like, was like, don't worry. Like I'm good. I'll figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, again, like I had been riding bikes forever, <laughs> right, um, right, right, right. you know? <laughs> so like, I, 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 
I am learning to manage my battery life, certainly. But like, other than that, like I am very comfortable, um, managing my safety on a bike. Um, and you know, like recently I was on a ride, some guy kept asking me if I was okay. Like, you know, I, I decided it was my turn to go to the back of the group and he would be immediately like, are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, dude, chill. <laughs> like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, this is not a hard ride. We're on right. flat terrain. You know, I can see my house from here. Like, calm, <laughs> calm down. And I, I eventually did have to say something to him. And, you know, um, I, <laughs> I didn't explain it fully because, you know, again, we're on a bike ride, but, um, you know, I, I, I think, um, folks with disabilities, um, should feel comfortable asking for help. I hope most do. Um, I certainly do. Um, but I also, you know, I don't need, I don't need help most of the time. I know like I have a friend who uses a wheelchair and, you know, his pet peeve is when people insist on holding doors for him. Mm. Um, because oftentimes, you know, wheelchairs, you can't turn to the side and sneak through. Right. So right. if someone's holding a door open for you, but they're standing in the doorway, they're blocking you, they're blocking your path. Um, yeah. and you know, he opens doors for himself all day, every day. He doesn't need help. Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, people like, like you were saying, you know, people who, um, who have different kinds of abilities also have the same bullshit that everybody else has. Sure. And, you know, they've adapted to manage it. Um, right. right. So they don't like, I personally, and again, different people have different opinions. I personally don't think it's ever wrong to ask somebody if they need a hand once. Right. But then to ask repeatedly is kind of rude. And what's worse Mm -hmm. is when someone says, no, I'm good. I don't need help. And then the person's offering gets offended um, Mm -hmm. or, you know, defensive or um, has some like some reaction. Like that's, that happens. Um, Really? Would you mind giving an example of that? Just so I, just so people get a a bead on it. You know, it might be something like, um, you know, you ask somebody in a wheelchair if they need help with the door and the person says, no, I'm good. And then the person offering says, well, show off or something like that, you know, um, you know, that's, I would consider that a, you know, an ableist microaggression. Yeah. I would, I would call that being a jackass. That too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. yeah inter- interesting. Did, did I have two, two, two train of thoughts to go down real quick of, do you feel like you've gotten put in a different category of people? Like, oh, I'm part of now this group of people that are disabled, differently abled, adaptively abled, yada, yada. Like, do you feel like you've joined a team or I do, do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, it's, there's a whole community out there of people who have various kinds of disabilities and like, yeah. you know, I, I have like interesting conversations with folks who are in this community and there's so many different ways that people's ability can change, you know, it could be a traumatic injury like I had, or it could be a disease or it could yeah. be, um, congenital or it could be, um, well, yeah, I mean, I guess those are the main ways, but the, you know, there's like yeah. all, like, there's so many different, um, illnesses that people get that cause them to become disabled in different kinds of ways. Right. Um, and it's been very interesting to me to like meet lots of people who, um, who got here and di- from different pathways, but now face similar challenges. Um, yeah. and I, you know, I think it's been, it's been very interesting to learn about, um, different people. And it's been very impactful for me to meet other people who've been through this or are going through this. Yeah. I um, and there's lots, you know, there's great books written by people with disabilities about their experience. Um, sure. 
so yes, I, d- I definitely do feel like I'm now okay. part of this like large community yeah. um, who are all just trying to like share information to make mm-hmm. our lives as good as possible. Yeah. Do you, do you know Kirk Williams, that name? I do not know. Impact Kirk Overland. I think he was a Boulder guy or he was, he was uh same, like a mountain bike racer that just went out on like a Sunday afternoon for a light ride and ended up breaking his neck in lions. And um, now is is in a wheelchair permanently and travels around the country, like lives this badass life in a van with his dog. But I was curious if you guys know each other. And then yeah. second beat of thought or second train of thought. Uh, so your relationship ends. How does dating with this? Or if I mean, you I was, are. Well, now I'm, I'm in a new relationship now, but I, am, I was oh, okay. super scared. I okay. was super scared to start dating because it was like. Yeah, I bet. You know, I've got this new disability. Also, I've just had this broken engagement. Yeah. Um, and you spend a lot of time talking to my therapist about that. And, you know, like me, or, you know, in my case, as in many cases, um, I have sexual dysfunction. Okay. Um, and so like, that was a whole thing. Cause like, sure. I needed to tell a person who's basically a stranger who like might become a sexual partner that like, yeah, I'm not going to. Like, you know, I, I have to use Viagra, like it doesn't always sure. work. Um, right. and especially back then I was still figuring it out. Um, so, you know, there's like a lot of like very intimate conversations very early on. Mm. Um, but what I learned was that it was kind of empowering to, um, just tackle it all head on Yep. because, you know, if someone was uncomfortable, if I was talking to somebody on Bumble and they were like, not sure about my disability, like that's a left swipe. Like, I don't need that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna sift through some of the riffraff pretty yeah, early. Exactly. Here. Yeah. Um, and you know, I was like fortunate to meet my girlfriend. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't single for for all that long, really. Um, and she's you know very compassionate and understanding, and um, it's it's a it's been a great transition for me to have a healthy relationship. Yeah, that functions on on a lot of levels. Good for you, man. I really, yeah. good for you. I mean that. Uh, and I think even just that last two minutes is impactful for, and I know this is a completely different train of thought, but uh, we have a number of guys going through a year of sobriety mm-hmm. that aren't alcoholics and aren't like, you know, face down drunks, but a number of them are like, I'm terrified to tell a first date that I don't drink. I'm like, all right, cool. Well, you know what? Most people, I think, over the age of 35 show up to a first date with some stuff in their backpack. Just a yeah. little bit of like, there's something that you're worried about sharing. So I appreciate your honesty about that. And, and, and I agree think, that it's it's like, this is who I am. I think it's absolutely true. I mean, it's just like, um, everybody's got shit in their past. Um, and yeah, as we get older, we accumulate more and more of it. But yeah. I also think that like, you know, if you're a sober person and you you know, are around someone who has to have seven drinks to be with you. Like it's probably not the good relationship. Right? <laughs> we're just going to, we're just going to talk about a red flag here for a second, fellas. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm a New Yorker and I'm, I like to be direct anyway. So like yeah. I've used that to my strength in yeah, this I life. You. I hear you. I remember people always, and I know I don't want to go down the alcohol path too far, but people are like, well, what the hell do you do on a first drink on a first date? And I was like, everything you guys do, but without a drink in front of me, why, why do you need to get drunk on a first date? But anyway, (laughs) if I can, if I can wrap this up with two, not not really sneaky questions, but just curiosities of what was an unintended positive consequence of all of this 
and perhaps actually before we get to that, what was a challenge that you didn't anticipate? Uh, okay, those are good questions. Um, Thanks. The challenge I didn't anticipate. Well, I mean, I think it was easy in the hospital, right? Like as, as for all the pain I was in and for all the limitations and challenges I had back in those days, um, all I had to do was wake up and work on my body. Mm -hmm. Um, and even when I was first out of the hospital and I was, you know, probably only working 10 hours a week, if that, um, it was very easy to just like really focus on all of my needs. Mm -hmm. Um, as I had transitioned back to a, um, you know, full-time work schedule and relationship, um, it's dealing with a chronic condition. Like I have, um, mm-hmm. takes a huge amount of time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's time going to and from appointments. There's time dealing with insurance. There's time, you know, trying to find different providers when I need special specialized care. So I often do. Yeah. Um, and it's just the time tax is, is enormous. And I, 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 there's no solution for it that I know of and everybody I know who's, who is disabled deals with it to one extent or another. Uh, some people are fortunate enough to be able to step away from work. I, I don't have that option. I'm not sure if I'd want it anyway, but yeah, the, the time tax, I, I don't think I would have anticipated. It is, okay. it is intense. Yeah. Um, I bet. Yeah. The positive though, I would say is that, uh, is this community, you know, I've, I've like, learned about a whole section of humanity that I really knew nothing about before in terms of other people living with disabilities, but also, um, the medical community and like the many mm. incredible services exist. Um, and you know, for me, that's been one of the hardest parts of the pandemic is seeing my friends who are nurses or doctors are just becoming absolutely beaten down. And, mm. um, you know, you know, you're, when you're working in an ICU and you're dealing with like wave after wave after wave of COVID patients, and then you don't have a bed for the guy who had a stroke or the guy who had a heart attack, right. that's heartbreaking. So, yeah. yeah. So I guess I'm sorry that turned into not a positive, but um, no, I think it's it's a it's an it's a real answer, right? Yeah. I mean, I I you know I do think I actually do feel pretty good about my life, um, and I think good. You know, I was on another podcast and somebody was like, do you have any joys or anything that sparks happiness? I was like, you know, fuck you. Of course there's things in my life. Like, I've got it. I just told you about my brand new e-bike and how awesome it is to be out there riding. And I told you about my girlfriend and you're asking me that question. And my girlfriend. And, yeah. <laughs> um, how do you get through the morning? You know, yeah. like, hey, man. And, you know, look, there are definitely hard days and there are a lot of, of hard days. Um, yeah, I bet. But, you know, I have lots of joy in my life and most disabled people I know have lots of joy in their life. Um, right. And, you know, I think, yeah, there's definitely like an ableist assumption that somebody who is disabled must be miserable. And that is not the case. Yeah. And I know a fuckload of able-bodied people who are absolutely miserable. So I think we can also <laughs> say that, that yeah. Having right. legs that work don't doesn't make you happy or joyful or grateful or positive. Or, and I'm not even talking about people with mental health challenges. I'm just talking about people yeah. who are just generally miserable. Well, exactly. brother, I appreciate you coming in. I appreciate you sharing. Is there anything else you'd like to leave this audience or anything you'd want to t- tell them? Uh, and I, I said, said in the beginning, this is probably a 60-40 split or 70-30 mm-hmm. split of men to women. So any message specifically to men listening to this? 
Well, you know, to men and women, I think it's, I just think it's so important that we all look out for each other. You know, I, mm. I am the victim of a crime. Um, I am the survivor of a crime that is yeah. the result of somebody not giving a shit about someone else. Yeah. Um, I am also the beneficiary of so much goodwill and so much care and love and support. Um, I try to pay that forward. I, you know, spend when I have time, I, I like to talk to people who are newly injured and, you know, share my experience hear about them. Um, I hope that all of your listeners will look for ways to, um, to be supportive of everyone around them in big ways and small ways, both count. Beautiful. Thank you, brother. And for people who are interested in learning more about you, your story, where are you hanging out? Anything that you're doing? Do you have a social media presence or anything that a website people can go to, to check you out? Uh, yeah, check me out on Instagram. Um, I'm at Bernie tweets. That's B-E-R-N-I-E-T-W-E-E-T-E-S. And same handle on Twitter, although I'm not as active on Twitter. Um, gotcha. And then you know, I, I did mention, I've written a couple essays for Outside Magazine that yeah, readers we'll might enjoy. Cool. Great. Thanks, brother. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and uh, keep me in your world. Sounds good. Cheers. Yep. This is Trevor Bohm signing off on another episode of the Uncivilized Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please give us a share. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. And if you're interested in getting a hold of my book, Man Uncivilized, whether you're a man or a woman, please go to www.manuncivilized.com forward slash the book and get reading.